The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you doing, folks? Brian Kennedy is joining us today. He's. You want to talk about an active guy, a singer, songwriter, recording artist, author, playwright, entertainer, actor, public speaker. Certified professional life coach. You need someone just to carry around all the hats he wears. <laughs> it's a great pleasure to welcome you. Oh, thank you very much, Paul. It's my pleasure to be here. So, how are you doing? And also, where are you? Well, right now, I'm at home in Florida. I live on the Panhandle of Florida. And I'm doing great. I, I couldn't be better. I'm, I'm probably the most blessed man you'll ever talk to. So, I'm doing really good. So, with all the things that you do, where would you say your drive or your motivation comes from? It's always people. There's obviously nothing more important in, in the world than people. But it's observing people. It's, it's watching them and talking to them and listening to them. And, and basically, I think trying to love you know, as, as much as you can. And, and where you can and where you can love the best and, and oftentimes where it's not convenient. So it's always people, everything, you know, in, in your, in your life, my life, it's always going to hopefully revolve around people rather than things and stuff and, you know, that sort of thing. So it's always people. What's the best way in your opinion to get something done? Well, the, I mean, the, the first thing is, is you don't quit. There's, it's so easy, I think, in, in society today, and I see it in a lot of younger people, I think that the first time that somebody says something that's discouraging, they kind of jump out of the boat or they're kind of off, like, well, you know, that didn't work. And, you, you know, I think it was Edison that, you know, he, I think he failed, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of times. But he didn't call them failure. He called them success, uh, all the successes, because it got him to where he needed to be to actually accomplish something that made a difference. So to get something done, obviously you have to have the motivation where you get that motivation is very important because it's not sometimes very natural. You know, the, I, I'm, I was an athlete earlier in my life and, and uh, football being one of the sports I played in three day practices, nobody ever said, I can't wait to go do three day practices. It's never been said. So, <laughs> You have to find that motivation somewhere to know that whatever it is that you're going to do is going to be worth it. And you're going to get something out of it that is, there's no other way to get whatever that is. You can't do it somewhere else. So that's a good motivation for you. But to get it done, you have to keep going. You have to not listen to the people that tell you you can't do it. You have to, you know, believe in it and, and just kind of keep going. But you have to be able to i call it like teeter you have you know if somebody throws you off track you know you step in a hole like if you're running and you step in a hole you got to roll with it you can't be stiff you break your ankle so you got to be flexible and you know i guess keep your eyes on the target but i think the main thing is to really not pay attention to the people that keep trying to tell you, you can't do it hmm. what is something that you learned from the sport of football or athletics in general that you transferred over to the music business? 
Well, I'm, uh, you know, Paul, I'm not very good at whining or whiners. <laughs> I think sports in general, and, and, and I played several, they just don't have room for that. You know, that's, it's kind of football to me is a good example of somebody that's in doubt. Like somebody doesn't know what to do. Somebody that doesn't quite understand, you know, like this is all confusing. So for me, I don't have that issue because I learned in the, in the particular, the sport of football, that there are 15 things that could happen after the ball snap. You know, if I was a defensive end, so if the guy blocks down, I do this, if he moves around, I do this, if the back moves over here, it's a big chess game and it happens so fast. You, you really don't know what you did until you watch the film kind of thing. So for me, football taught me that, when I get up to the line of scrimmage and there's that six, eight, 385 pound guy across from me, that's my first battle. After that battle, then there's going to be another guy that's trying to block me. And then after that battle, I, I hopefully can make a tackle. So there's going to be these battles. They're, they're going to be tough and they're going to be hard. Now, here's the key. If I get up to the line of scrimmage and I don't know what to do, okay, this is where a lot of people in life find themselves in their job in their marriage and their you know relationship with this person it's it's always that place where you go i don't know what to do football taught me that when the ball snapped i just gotta find the opposite color of jersey and knock the heck out of it <laughs> it may be it may be the wrong thing to do on that particular play but i'm doing something that is going in the right direction so I'm not recommending people go out and hit something. I'm recommending that you know something you can do, and it's very obvious. So start there. So that's really helped me in everything that I do. I don't have that. You know, I really don't know what to do here because I'm going to do something. And, you know, it's maybe the simplest thing in the world. Maybe take me down the wrong road on that particular play, but I'm getting something out of it rather than standing there and letting something knock the heck out of me. So I kind of believe in that. And I want to go back just a little bit. Most stories are best from the beginning. So tell us a little bit about where you're from and what life was like for you growing up. Paul, I'm probably the most, like I said, fourth blessed man you've ever talked to. I, my father is Jerry Kennedy. Jerry Kennedy, I, I, say, I hear this quite often in my life, is a legend. He's still living. And he's still doing great, still lives in Tennessee. But he and my mother, Linda, met in Shreveport, Louisiana, where they had a show called the Louisiana Hayride. The Louisiana Hayride was the Grand Ole Opry west of the Mississippi. And it was located in Shreveport, Louisiana, where my family and relatives still live. My dad and my brothers, we all, they live in Tennessee. I live in Florida. But they met there, and my dad was uh, a guitar player. My mom a singer. She had a record deal and Ram Records, and and that really is the foundation for my whole life. My whole entire life was founded on music and new music, not you know um, people hear songs on the radio. Uh, I was hearing these songs when the songwriter would sing them for my father or sing them for my dad. Produced the Statler Brothers and Tom T. Hall and Johnny Rodriguez and Reba McIntyre. Jerry Lewis and played on sessions that were, you know, Elvis and Bob Dylan and just everything. He's a musician's hall of fame guitar player. 
So I really got to grow up immersed in new music songwriters that were you know, from Chris Christopherson, you know, on down the line. That was my childhood. And I had no idea what I was being dunked in. I had no, you know, I was being baptized in, in the greatest songwriters and entertainers from Roger Miller on. So the beginning for me was a total you know, luck of the draw. I don't know. I, I, I look back on it. I'm like, I can't even believe, you know, that, that I was blessed enough to be born to that family. I have two brothers, my older brother, Gordon Kennedy, he's a two-time Grammy winner. Uh, was a co-writer on Eric Clapton's Change the World, Song of the Year, Grammy, and he's done a lot of work touring Peter Frampton, and he's probably had a song recorded by everybody. Actually, it'd be a better interview. You should call Gordon. <laughs> he's, he'd be a really good one. Just a really talented guy. My younger brother, Shelby Kennedy, that's very talented and used to work for Disney and ASCAP and BMI and just very involved in the business side of Nashville. And it just, I just got blessed, Paul. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't do anything for it, but I, I, I hope I've taken advantage of it in the right way. And that way is my father's integrity and the way that he treated people and the way he treated the song and the singer and the players. So that, that's very important to me. Wow. I wanted to ask you about where you started to get the idea that you wanted to write songs yourself. Well, again, growing up, you know, I kind of took off the sports when I was probably third grade. I started playing football, and then you know, I was hooked. So it was always me, sports and music, sports and music. Well, music, you know, most people watch TV back when I was a kid when they went home. But when I got, when I got home and Dad got home, he would bring these reel-to-reel tapes, and they were songs that were demos. We call them demos, and they're demonstrations of, of you know, a songwriter would write something. And they would get a guitar and sing into a microphone and put it on this reel to reel and you know play it for my dad or whoever and say, you know, what do you think about this? So we were always listening to songs. That's a good thing, but very intimidating. When I got to be older, 16, 17, you know, I, was, I got a guitar and now I'm writing songs. I don't know I'm writing them about the coaches and I'm writing songs about the players and I'm I'm kind of releasing my frustrations you know, writing these silly, goofy songs about whatever. And I didn't realize I was doing it. And then I got to college, and, and the guys would pile in my room when I was playing ball at, at the University of Mississippi. Football players would come in the room, and, and, you know, we're singing these songs. And I don't really know I'm doing it. Then when I got out of college, I got really interested in it, but it was very intimidating because I had grown up listening to songwriters. I'm the greatest ever. And I guarantee you the greatest songwriters are in Nashville, Tennessee. And so it was intimidating. I was like, I can't do that. So back to your first question. I was like, I can't do that. You know, that's, these guys are great. I mean, what am I? I'm nothing. So I, I got jobs and I was working, actually pitching songs. And the people out there that don't know what that is, there are people in Nashville that are hired to listen to somebody's catalog of music and take those songs and try to place them with artists and producers to get them recorded. I got a couple of jobs doing that. And the people that I was pitching songs for were incredible writers. Uh, Jim Rushing, Carl Jackson, Larry Cordell, just these terrific writers with lots of hit records. Then I had a buddy that came to town that was a rodeo friend of mine, and he wanted to be a songwriter. And... 
I wanted to help him. So the only way I knew to really help him to make sure he was writing songs was to write with him. And Paul, after writing a lot of songs with him, people started hearing my songs. And then I started writing songs on my own. And next thing I know, I'm getting offered writing deals and still baffles me. <laughs> I still think I'm, I'm nowhere near these other, it's hard for me to call myself a songwriter because I, I don't even think I could, you know, carry water for, you know, Chris Christopherson and guys like that, but I'm just really blessed. Now you just mentioned Chris Christopherson. So if there was a short list of Brian Kennedy songwriting heroes, who would be on that list? Well, the the first one, and, and this is not chronological, but Garth Brooks is the most talented songwriter I've ever known and ever seen. I grew up listening to Roger Miller because my father produced King of the Road and, you know, uh, Dang Me. And you know, those were songs that when I was a kid, I didn't know what was going on. You know, I just, dad would play them. And I remember meeting Roger a few times when he was at the house very entertaining and I, you know, I love being around him because he's charismatic and big influence on me just his ability to twist phrases and 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 write them in a different way that wasn't normal and i think i really love not normal and not afraid you know his his song last word lonesome is me just taking the word lonesome and then taking the last two letters and saying the last word in lonesome is me that, that, that's a genius you know that is incredible. So, you know, that Roger Miller the, to Garth Brooks, the, the guy that mentored me was James Rushing, James Alfred Rushing and Jim Rushing, who, who had already had a bunch of hits. And, you know, somebody opened the door to his office and said, hey, I want you to meet this guy. His name's Brian Kennedy, and maybe you two guys will get along. This guy didn't have to give me the time of day, but he did. And man, did he kick my butt. He kicked my butt. We got in there and got in the trenches of, you know, spending two days on a, on a line, one line, and making it right and making sure that everything, you know, was threaded together. And by the time you got through that song, it was just neatly woven, knitted, and tight. And he kicked my butt. And he, you know, it took three, two or three or four years of, of riding with Jim. So, there are so many writers, uh, Paul, that are great writers from Billy Joel to James Taylor. You know, I mean, there's, it's endless. Tom T. Hall's songs, the storytelling aspect of Tom's songs uh, is incredible. So I'm a big fan of a lot of, com of uh, comics that don't even write music. I just love the way they take words and they, they twist them around. You're like, okay, there's you. There's a funny, funny story. And I'm, I'm just like kind of a, I guess you know, people say you're a wordsmith, but I really think songwriters and lawyers, and so now this is, you know, people will laugh, but really we do what lawyers do. We, we take the same words that, that you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to make you think what I want you to think about those words. And, you know, lawyers do that. Same words, <laughs> but we're just going to, we're just going to use them to get our point across and to, and to make you believe it. And I love doing that. People think that, you know, you must have fun writing. So it's not really that fun. It's, it's for me, I, I honestly say I dread it because I know I, I can't just go write something that's nothing. So it really requires, you know, it's kind of like going into a sweatshop or something, or not a sweatshop, a 
sauna or something where you, you know you're going to get in there and you're going to be worn out when you come out. But again, it's it's worth it. Well, speaking of wordsmiths, there were two things more or less that inspired me to try to interview you. One, I was doing an interview with Amanda Colleen Williams, the songwriter, and she mm. she mentioned you and she said, you know, here Brian Kennedy is a guy who carries on some of the Shakespearean traditions if you oh, look wow. at some of his songs. <laughs> and I'm just wondering what you think about that. Well, I, I don't, I mean, I can't even, you know, God bless her for saying that. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that, Paul. I, 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 at first, I don't feel like I deserve that, but wow, what a nice thing to say. Because, uh, you know, we're all trying to do that. We're all, we're all trying to write what he wrote. You know, we're trying to write it every day. People say, well, you know, you got to run out of something to write about. And you'd think, but it's all love. It's, it's, it's all redemption. It's, it's all, you know, make, taking that person for three and a half minutes or three minutes and, and saying, I'm totally going to change the life here for three minutes. I, I'm, I'm really blown away by that. So I don't really know what to say, but I will say this about what we do as writers. And I guess what William Shakespeare himself did as a writer. I'm riding down the road years ago with my buddy that's going through a divorce and we're going dove hunting in Texas and we're riding down the road and it's a long trip and a straight road and you know it's just me and him and he's over there crying and he's talking about his relationship and how awful and terrible and I don't know what to say I'm just riding and then the radio's on Paul and it's very 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 faint in the background well this Texas swing song came on and he heard it just a little bit. So in the middle of his tears, in the middle of his anguish, he turns that thing up to 11 and goes, I love this song. <laughs> and for three, three minutes, this guy was transformed into joy. And when it was over, kind of went back to where he was. But I remember that moment very well going, that's what I want to do for somebody. I want to be able to do that for somebody. And uh, that's probably been the, the biggest influence in, in my songwriting. And hopefully, you know, that's happened somewhere. Well, in addition to your songwriting, you make recordings yourself. And I was saying that there was two things that inspired me to want to interview you. And the other thing was I went and I, I got on iTunes and I started to download your music. And... I don't know if this will get me in trouble or not, but I have to say, <laughs> I, I liked your interpretation, well, it is your song, of uh, American Honky Tonk Bar Association more than the Garth Brooks version. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> uh, my, mine didn't pay nearly as well, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> that's very kind of you. Thank you. A, a lot of that is my older brother, Gordon. That's him on the guitar. And got his own style i brag on gordon a little bit you know there was a slight departure in Garth's career you know 20 years ago when he did a chris Gaines project and uh, it was really pop oriented it was actually great if you if you never heard that album gordon is a writer on nine of the ten songs on that album and playing guitar on the whole the whole project so 
the version of American Honky Tonk Bar Association that's, I think that's on the CD I have called I'm So Jealous of Me, is, is a lot of that's Gordon. So I have to give him a lot of credit. I appreciate you saying that. That's very kind. I was just going to ask you kind of how you got to work with Garth Brooks, what he's like to work with. Well, there's a long story. How I got to work with him, I was pitching songs, as I mentioned before, before I really started. I was writing, but I didn't, I wasn't an actual staff writer. I was just writing to write. And I was pitching songs for my father. So my, I was also working with him, trying to find songs for two artists that he was producing. One was Mo Bandy, and the other was Mel McDaniel. There was an event at the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville, Tennessee, that was a little bit unique and different. And what it was, Paul, was there was five publishers that would have one of their writers, so there'd be five different writers, one from each publishing company, and they were all to sing three songs that nobody had on hold or, or was going to record. So my dad said, why don't you go down there and listen? So I'm like, okay, I will. So I went down and immediately back, and this is back in like 88, I used to wear Wranglers and Ropers and, and a Resist All hat. Now in Nashville, Tennessee in 88, you couldn't buy them in Nashville. You had to get them in Texas. So I walked in, there's this guy wearing Wranglers, Ropers, and a brush popper shirt and a Resist All hat. And I'm kind of, you know, Bluebird's a small place. I'm like, well, you know, who's this guy? And it ended up being, I never forget the guy that introduced himself. And this is a guy that sings a pretty good country song. His name's Garth Brooks. And so he gets up there and sings, Not Counting You, I believe it was, which one of them will be you tonight? And um, if tomorrow never comes, well, of course, I just freak out. I'm just like, I don't know who this guy is, but holy cow. So anyway, I ended up getting over to Bob Doyle, who's been his manager from day one. And Bob said, you know, I was like, who is this guy? Because he, you know, I was just blown away. And he said, what's well, interesting? We're, we're going to maybe try to get him a record deal. We're interested in your dad, maybe being a, a producer. Well, you know, I just couldn't have been more excited. So, you know, shook Gar's hand. And, and uh, you know, from there, we started writing songs together and, you know, hanging out. And so that's where it started. And I was just, you know, again, it's just a blessing just to be at, at that place at that time. And then you, I think you asked me what's it like to work with him. Yeah. That was your second part. There's, are you, are, there is not enough good things I can say about this man. It really sounds like I'm trying to kiss his butt, but I'm not. This is probably the most unique entertainer in the world ever. The, the, the things that he does, the things that he doesn't do, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anybody handle fame the way he has is I just can't say enough good things about him. It's a, he's a joy to work with because you actually work with him. You know, he's a boss, anybody. He just gets the best out of everybody. And no matter what happens, he is going to find a positive thing. He's just going to, he doesn't have a temper and, he, and you know, he's not, he doesn't drink. He doesn't, you know, he just, he just, I think he really, wakes up every day going, I'm everybody I see today, I'm going to try to make their life. And every day, and, and it doesn't matter who it is. There's no class or it's he's just an amazing guy. So working with him is unbelievable. I mean, it is really, just, you know, you, you touch them all grand slam, you know, you just couldn't be, couldn't be better. I think one of the things I like about 
Garth Brooks is he seems like someone who just has endless respect for songwriters. You nailed that. Fierce respect for songwriters and the fight that he has fought from day one for songwriters to be compensated. And I'm not talking about him. He is fighting for the guy that he doesn't know. The kid in the truck that's probably right now on I-40 driving from Oklahoma to Nashville to try to make it as a songwriter. He wants that kid to be able to make a living, to be able to, you know, not he didn't need a mansion, but just to be able to make a living. People don't understand songwriters' average income is between $8,000 and $11,000 a year. So it, you can't live on that. So he, his respect and, and uh, I'd say fierce loyalty to a songwriter is one aspect of why I do love Garth Brooks. And, and it's not a selfish, it's just, it's just the right thing. You know, it's just... Writers should be compensated. Hmm. Well, no matter what somebody wants to undertake in life, whether they are going into music, if they're wanting to be in the world of business, athletics, entertainment, there's always going to be obstacles. So what do you think the best tactic to overcome an obstacle is? Well, it, and I know it's directed to me, so I would tell you that my faith in God is actually the only way I know how to do it. I can't imagine my life without, you know, Jesus in my life, God in my life. I just can't. I don't even know how to approach anything without that. So, you know, there may be some three-step seminars that people can go to and, and you know, here's what you do here. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. You know, so for me, it's faith. And if, if it's not God for a person, you know, hopefully they have faith in a higher power and realize that you're not a mistake. You know, you're here for a reason. So, you know, to kind of cling to that and, and realize that whatever that obstacle is, it is a definite, a definite way to grow and to learn. And, you know, if nothing else, to teach you not to do that again, you know, try something else. Or, you know, it, it, it will definitely sharpen you in some way, hopefully, if you allow that. Now, what do you do when you find out that the obstacle isn't a thing, but it's a person? Well, I think you, I think you really try to love them. I really do. I think you try to figure out the best way to love that person because that's going to happen. You know, we're humans and I've probably been an obstacle to several people. I think sometimes even though like Paul, we're talking, you know, in a, in a more personal way, sometimes they're not obstacles. Sometimes we make them that way. You know, we kind of have a preconceived notion or an expectation. Somebody's not feeling what we want them to do or what we think they should do. So we might even create an obstacle in that person. Hmm. And then there's obviously the obstacles that we have that somebody just wants to be a big fat jerk. And uh, I just try to love them. You know, my mom, my mom had the sweetest smile in the world. She's just so beautiful. And she would, you know, if I came home from school and I would say, you know, whatever, this person, whatever, and she would go, kill them with kindness, baby, kill them with kindness. Hmm. And I, I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, 
Do you think that there are any misconceptions that somebody might have about you? Well, the first two that come to mind is there's a Brian Kennedy in Ireland that's very, very popular, and I'm not him. <laughs> and then there's a Brian Kennedy, I think, that produces Beyonce, maybe. And I, may, I hope I have that right. That's from California, and I'm not him either. I wish I was either one of them. These guys are so talented. And sometimes I'll hear from people that, like, they want me to come sing at a wedding in Ireland. I'm like, well, that's not me. And somebody might want me to produce a hip-hop album. I'm like, well, that's not me. These guys are so talented. So... That might be a misconception, but on, on a more personal level to me, to be really frank and honest with you, I'm, I'm about 6'5 and 235 pounds, and it might be a little bit intimidating, but I, I'm, you know, I, I want to love people. You know, I'm a strong guy. I don't mean that so much physically. As, you know, I'll do whatever we got to do to get whatever we got to get done. You want me in your foxhole, that's for sure, but I'm not a... I just love people. I love the one-on-one. I love, I love to, to, uh, I love kids. I love high school kids. I love, you know, people trying to figure it out. And that's what I'm really all about. So I hope that if somebody sees me that they're not like, well, you know, this guy's a, you know, some six foot five jock and you know, probably got an attitude. I hope they don't see that because I, I, that would be really wrong. Hmm. Well, what is it like for you when somebody, for example, Let's say that you were, I don't know, you're at a concert or you're somewhere where people recognize you and they come up to you and you realize that they're in awe of you. How do you handle that? Well, I, I don't even know if that's ever happened. I, I really don't. I don't. I'm just a person. You know, I'm, I, we, 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 uh, we all have our gifts and nobody is less than somebody else so i i don't know that i've ever perceived that happening if it's happened i i guess i'm kind of protected from seeing it because i just don't i don't feel that you know i just don't i really don't identify with that so i don't know i hope i'm come across normal to that person i guess hmm. what would you say to somebody who they have their destination they have their goal in mind whatever it might be, but they're just not quite sure how to get there. Well, you know, obviously it depends on the destination. The first thing that comes to my mind is kind of what we discussed earlier. I'm a, I'm a runner. I like to run. I like to jog. And, and there are definitely sometimes there's a steeplechase in Nashville where they, you know, they run the horses and do the jumps and that sort of thing. And I remember jogging out there, you know, like the faster I want to run, the more um, harder I hit the ground. So uh, this inside baseball here for some sort of analogy, but if I hit a hole and I'm running really, really, really hard, I don't have time to roll. You know, I, I've got, it's just going to crack my ankle. So I think it's finding a pace that, that you can continue, you know, without hurting yourself and being able to, when you hit a hole, your foot goes in a hole and you can roll with it. You know, it's, it may, may, you know, put you off track a little bit, but you roll with it and, and you get back on track. And I, I just think that that kind of works for me. When talking to songwriters, a lot of times people will ask the question, what is your favorite song? 
I don't ask that question <laughs> because you always get the same answer. You either get, I could never pick, or they're all my children. How could you ask me to choose between my children? <laughs> so yeah. I've started asking this question, and it's really gotten some interesting answers. If you had to pick a song of yours, you had to pick one to represent you, your song that you wrote mm. or co-wrote, which one would it be? Uh, well, that's almost as hard as the other question. The other question <laughs> I've always answered with, I don't know, I haven't written it yet. That's the way I would answer my favorite song, just to kind of keep the pressure on myself. Your question to represent me, I, I, you know, when you first started the show and you started reading all those things that, that I'm listed as being, I start laughing. I'm like, that sounds very impressive, but to me, I'm just me. So, you know, there's to find one song that kind of spreads across all those things you said would be really tough. But I have a song that I wrote called I Am Different, and that, that would probably be it between that and grain of sand, but I think it's, I am different. And, uh, I think there's a video of that on YouTube. So yeah, I think that would be it. I mean, if I had to say today without like looking over my catalog of hundreds of songs, that would be the first one that comes to mind. And what would you say was the best recorded interpretation of one of your songs? Hmm. Wow. Um, I, I, I'm going to say Beaches of Cheyenne. I, th I just think when, uh, when Garth first played me that, you know, when he was in the studio, he brought home a rough track and, and, uh, the steel guitar and the fiddles came in. I'm like, Oh man, that just, it just engulfed the feeling of, of that song. And that first line of they packed up all his buckles. I'm like, Holy cow, this guy's, you know, he's dead. <laughs> You know, this is this is bad. But I love that recording. I love the how loose the drums are. It's kind of Bob Seegerish in the drum category, but it's twin fiddles and it's steel. I just really love that recording. That's a great song. Thank you. Absolutely. What is the best thing about being Brian Kennedy? Well, I'm Jerry Kennedy's son. Um I couldn't ask for anything more. It's open doors that I had nothing to do with. There are people from all over the world that would do anything to get to Nashville, Tennessee, anything to get somebody to even listen to a song, anything to do a demo, anything to get somebody to record their song, anything. These things were always around me. I never got them given to me. My dad is so funny. He got interviewed for the Musicians Hall of Fame when they, they uh, dedicated a theater to him. So if you go to Nashville and you go to the Musicians Hall of Fame, there's a Jerry Kennedy Theater. And the guy that interviewed him asked him this question, said, did you ever teach your sons how to play the guitar? This is my dad. And you know what he said? He goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. No. <laughs> And and I love him for that because he, he always believed if my boys want to do something bad enough, they'll figure out a way to do it. So it was never given to me. It was never, it was never, he never opened the door for me, but 
people in town opened doors for me because I was his son. And I will never take that for granted. I've had opportunities that, that people would literally go crazy to have. And I understand that. It's not fair. I totally do not take that for granted. So, you know, I, I would definitely say being Jerry Kennedy's son and, and Linda Kennedy's son. In this era that we're in of social media, podcasting, YouTube, sometimes it's surprising, sometimes it's inspiring, sometimes it's touching. Who, something that you say or something that you communicate reaches. And we just don't know who might be listening. So whoever is listening, wherever, whenever, how many people, whatever, what would you say to our listening audience? Well, I love the fact that you recognize that, Paul. That's something that I think most people don't realize. I think that's really neat that that you have the insight to realize that. And the power of words and what you say and power of a picture, what you share. Uh, I, I, first off, I think it's all a blessing to be able to share in a podcast with, with you. It's a really neat thing. You have a totally different audience than my audience or somebody else's. I, I would say this. You, whoever you are individually, have a gift. You you are a gift and you have a gift. You, You need to have an honest estimation of yourself, meaning you need to understand your gift and and you need to find it, but you need to understand it and know that you are so important. You are so important. You, You matter. And there are other people like a jigsaw puzzle that need your piece, your gift to make their gift work and that person's gift. And yet we need each other and nobody is less important than somebody else. And the Bible says it very clear. You know, that I can't say to the arm, I don't need you. And every, we need, and we're all different parts and we all need each other. So, you know, get this out of your head. If you start thinking you don't matter and you're not important and life's not worth it. And all, it is, it is. Once you find your gift and you go, I'm going to, I'm going to tend this like a garden. I'm going to grow it. It'll be amazing. What you'll see will happen. It, it'll be amazing. So, I just think everybody needs to needs to really grasp that that you're very important. You know, there may be people in your life that are telling you you're nothing. Maybe people in your life are telling you you can't do it. Don't listen to all those people. They're miserable. Don't join in on that. So, I guess I just would simply say, you know, understand that you have a gift. Figure out how to use it and go for it. Very good. Well. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want more information on our guest, Brian Kennedy, it's brian-kennedy.com. That's brian-kennedy.com. I got one more question. I put all those titles at the beginning, all those different pursuits that you have, entertainer, singer, songwriter. How would you define Brian Kennedy? Who is Brian Kennedy? I really hope I'm a good friend. Uh, no, that's not. Maybe I should list that on there. Somebody should put that on there. <laughs> friend. <laughs> I just, I just really want to be 
somebody that, that is a really good listener and, and somebody that loves the people that I come across. I think using the tools that, you know, that if I'm able to write a book or able to write a novel or whatever it is that, I, that you know, kind of God's put on my heart that I'm doing is obviously something I enjoy, but it's not for me. You know, it's, it's hopefully that, that person driving down the road that's going through a divorce that hears that little song in the background and just cranks it up. And for that three minutes, you know, that, that just inspires me. Well, Mr. Kennedy, I'm glad we had this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time and I appreciate you including me on your, um, your podcast. It's my pleasure. Yes, sir. All right. Well, have a wonderful day. Well, bless you, sir. I appreciate you, and thanks for sharing, people. That's a that's a gift that you have that you're you're sharing these people, and that's a really sweet thing. I love doing it. <laughs> so well, keep it up. That's great. Well, thank you. All right. Well, okay, I hope bud. I hope our paths cross again someday. That'd be sweet. I look forward to meeting you if I get a chance. That'd be great. All right. Have a good day, Paul. You too. Okay, Until bye. next time. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment. For information, visit thepaulleslie.com. Thank you for being with us. Until next time.